Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Kim Alexander, the president of the California Voter Foundation. And we're going to chat today about all things, almost all things related to voting. And I had one question I wanted to ask you about paper ballot security. Everybody seems to be going online on everything. But uh, in terms of election security, paper ballot trails is a way to go, as I understand it. Is that fair to say or not? Or what do you think? Yes, John, that is absolutely the way to go. And in fact, we like to be fair. What can I say? Well, it's the way California has been going for over 15 years now. In okay. fact, um, one of the biggest issues I, I worked on over my 25 year history now with the California Voter Foundation was fighting for the paper trail. And it was something that um, we began to recognize following. Uh, the punch card voting fiasco in 2000 when there was this scramble to move to new voting systems and lots of the vendors were pushing these new paperless electronic voting systems as the way to go and we had several counties moving to that and you know we looked at that and said this is not acceptable in California we have a law that goes all the way back to 1965 that's called the manual count law and it requires that when you use computers to to tabulate votes, you have to conduct a post-election audit to show that the that the results that you tabulated by computer match the results you tabulate by hand. And this has been going on for over 50 years in California. So once paperless electronic voting was introduced, we argued that you could no longer fulfill this manual count requirement because there was no independent paper trail that the voter verified that you can use to audit the results. And that was ultimately how we were able to get uh, former California Secretary of State Kevin Shelley to require mm-hmm. back in 2003 that there be a paper trail. And then following uh, the, the next year in 2004, we had widespread e-voting in that March 2004 primary and we saw fiascos in several large counties in Alameda and San Diego. That convinced the legislature to mandate uh, voter verified paper trail and statute. Was so, that voting inaccuracy or is that too much... There were just too many people crowding into precincts to cast ballots? or Well, there it? were a variety of problems. And what the hearings that were conducted by the Secretary of State showed uh, following that election was that Diebold had been using uncertified oh, yeah. equipment and they rushed it through certification. Um, their, their equipment wasn't fully tested. And what happened was that there was faulty equipment in the field on election day. Uh-huh. We basically were beta testing voting equipment with actual elections and it was it there were 25 percent of the polling places in alameda county were inoperable they had uh, yeah they had paper ballot options in in those places uh-huh. so people weren't turned away but in san diego county the second most populous county in the state um half the polling places were inoperable and people were literally told to go home and come back later when wow. maybe the equipment would be working. Debo wound up with a big settlement too. I mean they wound up paying twelve and a half million dollars or something. I recall I think it was two thousand five. We actually did a story on that here at Capital a long time ago, but they wound up getting hurt in that, didn't they? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I know their equipment was decertified. And then we had, you know, Deborah Bone became Secretary of State oh, yeah. in the two thousand six election and she really took on the the vendors and and the equipment and she did this top to bottom review which still is a model 
for the nation. Now, she got a huge amount of pushback from the registrars, and understandably, they were very frustrated that they'd gone out and bought new equipment, and now they were being told it wasn't secure enough, and they'd have to get rid of it and get different equipment. So we went through a lot of shakeup in California with our voting equipment, but the long story short, by the 2006 primary, 40,000 paperless touchscreen voting machines were either retrofitted with printers or replaced with optical scan voting equipment. Uh So California voters have been voting on secure equipment ever since uh, 2006. And now you've got the rest of the country trying to catch up to us. Mm -hmm. Our, Our secretary say today, Alex Padilla is a big advocate for election security. And he talks all over the country about this and has really helped make California a model for not just having paper-based voting, but also having a post-election audit requirement. That's something they've got to go hand in hand. It's not enough. And that's something most states don't do or a lot of states don't do? Increasingly, states are doing this. And and California Voter Foundation has been part of a movement nationwide and even globally to move toward paper-based voting and post-election audits called the Election Verification Network, which we were founders of with others in, back in 2004. And it's made up of computer scientists, academics, advocates, election officials, lawyers. Um, so we, we get together via email and through a conference once a year and help each other improve on the art of secure election administration, which I know sounds boring, but, you know, it's something... A lot of people don't think about very often, but when they do, they care very deeply about it. I've seen national stories about um, potential security risks with vendors in some states. Is that an issue in California? Do you know? Is that something we have to worry about? You know, Secretary of State Padilla earlier this year issued a major decertification order. Um, He is requiring all 58 counties to use voting equipment that meets the 2015 California voting system standards. These are standards that Deborah Bowen developed before she left office in 2014. They were codified, put into practice as of 2015. They are arguably the most rigorous standards in the country. They require uh, that the vendor's source code be inspection, that the vendor's source code be inspected, that there be um, functionality testing, that there be uh, volume testing, that there be uh, red team attack where you look to see if there are vulnerabilities in the source code. Mm-hmm. And and all the results of these tests are put up on the Secretary of State's website for other states to use. And believe me, they do. So um, there there were some problems that were revealed with ESNS equipment and concerns about whether it's going to be uh, able to be serviced through Microsoft. Those are, those are fair concerns. But because of this decertification order the Secretary of State issued back in February. As of today, 50 of the 58 counties are going to be using or on track to use equipment in March that is meeting these higher California standards. Does those include the large counties as well or is LA the outlier? It always seems to be. I don't know if it is in this one. You know, LA has been doing some amazing work actually over 10 years Can't we bash LA? I'm so happier here when we bash LA. (laughs) LA is going to have a big challenge in the primary. Uh, they they are rolling out a new voting system. In fact, they just did a mock election down in LA oh, uh-huh. last week and on their new voting system. It's called Voting Systems for All People. And it has been in development for 10 years. We have lots of friends that have been involved in the process of, of helping LA develop this new voting system. It's unique in that it's county-owned. It's not being 
um, owned by a private vendor. They're not leasing it or licensing it. They own it. They have a private company, Smartmatic, that's building the components for it, but LA owns the the goods. And um, so it's very novel and it it's, I think it combines the best of both worlds. It uses computer technology for someone to go in, call up their ballot, make their selections on a screen. You can increase the font if you need to, you can go back if you need to, but then it prints out the ballot and that's actually your ballot. There's no electronic ballot. It's a paper, it's still a paper ballot. That's what gets deposited. That's what gets read. That's what gets recounted. If there's a recount, that's what gets audited. If it's if it's one of the ballots that's audited, so um, it's very exciting what's happening in LA. It's a big change, and it's coming along with the county's implementation of the Voters Choice Act. So that those those changes are going to be significant for LA voters um, to to get used to. And so I, there are a lot of people involved in doing a lot of outreach right now to try to help voters. Prepare. Set a time for March. Would that be for the March? Yeah, for, for, well, actually, they're going to be rolling out the, uh, the VSAP system for their local elections this November. Okay. So, and then in March, it will be, the local elections are municipal elections, um, not countywide. Uh-huh. And then in November, it will be countywide. I mean, sorry, in, in March, it'll be countywide. I, uh, just apart from elections, I know you've been involved over the years with helping improve the, and making recommendations for the Cal Access site. For the website, Secretary of State's office, make it more, make it easier for people like me to get to campaign contributions and be yeah. more consistent and the, all kinds of stuff. Where is that still going on? Uh, what's the status, if there is any right now, you know of of um, of uh, improving Cal Access or doing? I know the reporters always ask us, and none of the reporters know, so we're asking you. Yeah, <laughs> there there has been a, a project underway for some time, a Cal Access replacement project. Yeah. Cal Access, you know, one of the challenges of being an early adopter, as California was with electronic filing, it was one of the first issues I worked on with California Voter Foundation. Remember, yeah. we, we pushed to get the law changed uh, to require that campaigns file their disclosure statements uh, electronically and that those reports be made available online. So that law was enacted in 1997 and then the secretary of state at that time bill jones uh debuted the cal access system in 2000. um there were numerous improvements made to it when secretary of state kevin shelley took office Uh he his first order of business was to make it searchable that was a really high priority which a lot of people applauded but the problem with cal access is that it was it is spread out across several different servers that are very old at this point and difficult to maintain. So they're trying to create an, a wholesale replacement of it. Meanwhile, they have a lot of vendors who are servicing clients that are campaigns that need to continue to file their their reports. Sure. And so the vendors are very involved in this uh, replacement process. I did sit in on a, a, a meeting recently of this, and I know it's been pretty challenging. So I, I, I people are working on it. So it's still a work in progress. It's right still now. a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in the uh, campaign contributions transparency, that issue of um, campaigns filing, you know, how much they have received donations, and mm-hmm. there are certain limits uh, that donors have to meet. Are do you think that the limits right now are adequate? Are they are they sufficient enough? Is it rigorous enough? Or do you think campaign finance laws right now are working the way they should be or should they be tweaked? You know, I in my, in my role with California Common Cause, which I, I was there several years before I worked with CVF, 
Um, I had a, a lot of involvement with campaign finance reform. Um, I I focus more on disclosure because to me that's a area of agreement where you know no matter how you feel about campaign finance laws, everyone can agree there ought to be transparency. So that's really where I put my focus. Um, I I will say, you know, I I've been go- doing a lot of um, uh, digging through my my archives for California Voter Foundation because we're preparing for our 25th anniversary party. 25 years. Yeah, later this month. And some of the things that I thought and said early on, I just turned out to be dead wrong about. I mean, one of them I said early on when we when we launched our first California online voter guide on the internet in 1994, I mean, it predate, predated the wow. World Wide Web as a gopher site. Um, <laughs> and we debuted it in Deborah Bowen's legislative office because um, that was the only place you could get internet access in, in the Capitol at that point. But um you know, I said at the at the news conference about it that, you know, I thought that in time, the Internet would help reduce campaign costs. And boy, I was wrong about that. I mean, you know, campaigns are more expensive than ever. But I do think that in a way I was right about the, the impact that the Internet could have via social media. And you are mm-hmm. seeing people have tremendous influence with a simple tweet that takes off. Like the Me Too movement is a great example. That wasn't, you know, a big financed campaign and yet it's it's been revolutionary. And there are lots of examples like that. So I do think the internet has helped have a democratizing effect on political discussion, but it's also had a very detrimental impact when you look at what happened in the 2016 election mm-hmm. and how voters were manipulated through Cambridge Analytica and through uh, Russian uh, foreign interests trying to sway our votes and, and manipulate us. So you know, it's we can't be all pie in the sky about this, and we sure. have to be we have to be realistic. And that's why I think you know disclosure of online ads is important. Who's paying for them? You know, we we didn't have that, and we what need is that. the status on that right now? I mean, I know the bottom of the ads it'll say you know there's some sort of a dis- disclaimer, but what what is the specific? What are the differences between? running an online ad and the disclosures versus a print ad, say, or a TV ad or anything? I don't think the online ads are fully covered. Um, and I think there's a bill being promoted by California Clean Money Campaign and Trent Lane mm-hmm. that may okay. be before the governor right now that would require more disclosure on those I, know, I don't know the bill number. I know a while ago there was a really interesting uh, discussion about having a disclosure. If you were a campaign and you were paying a blogger to write a positive blog post about your campaign, yeah. that that had to be disclosed. And of course, the campaigns lost their minds. It said, yeah. we're just supporting these people to have right. a freedom of speech. Yeah. And I actually don't remember how it came out, but uh, I thought it's a really interesting idea where you've got freedom of speech, but you've also got something that clearly is a, a campaign dis- disclosable expense. Well, and we saw that with initiatives, too. I mean, we had people coming out saying they were for initiatives or against initiatives, and then you'd find out later that they'd been paid some big chunk of money, and, and later we had some disclosure for that. I mean, the thing about disclosure laws is that the people who who want to abuse the laws are always going to be, you know, out ahead and more clever. There's always than, a way around it. Right, then yeah. the people who are, who are trying to regulate them. So yeah. the regulators are always trying to play catch-up. But that's one thing I, I've come to see about money in politics is that it, it does always find a way. Yeah. Um, and especially in our system where we've equated money with speech, you know, it's very hard to, it's like an air bubble underneath the carpet. You step on it one here, over here, pops up over there. So, you know, that's why I think disclosure is so important um, and and trying to level the playing field, which I think the internet has a little bit of ability to do. 
But it certainly has not been responsible for bringing down overall campaign costs because they're still high, higher than ever. Uh, we were talking, chatting before about some bills that you're interested in. They're on the governor's desk right now. Yes. What, what exactly are you waiting? What's he going to do, sign or not? <laughs> do you have any idea what he's going to do? Well, we don't know what he's going to do. This is our first year with Governor Newsom. And, you know, we know what Governor Brown did on some of these bills in the past, um, what his attitudes were. But, you know, hopefully with, with Governor Newsom, um, actually, these these bills that are going before him, I don't think that Governor Brown looked at any of these um, one of them that we're very supportive of, an issue I've been working on for several years now, deals with voting by mail. Um, when people, you know, vote by mail has become very popular in California. People really like, a lot of people like voting by mail. But what we see with this increase in voting by mail is vote by mail ballot rejection also going up. And especially as we see more counties moving to implement the Voters' Choice Act, where every registered voter is mailed a ballot except LA where they're not mailing ballots out initially to everybody, only people who are who are signed up as vote by mail voters. But everywhere else that's doing the Voters' Choice Act, everybody gets a, a ballot in the mail. And then it's, you know, now the, the burden of voting properly has shifted from the poll worker who used to assist you when you show up at the polling place to the voter who's now at home trying to work it out for themselves. And so you see voters you know, forgetting to sign the envelope or their signature not matching mm-hmm. uh, their signature on file, which if you're young, you may not really have a signature yet. You, know, you haven't really formed a signature. So, Or if um, you're old, your handwriting or may be illegible. Completely. That happens to Not that it happens to me, of course, but to <laughs> others I've heard. You know. Exactly. And and people don't know what their signature on file looks like. So yeah. the tip we well, always like to... Scott Lay actually had a ballot rejected, I think, for a signature on file some years ago, if I remember right. Yeah, I mean, it's happened to a lot of it's happened to a lot of people and and people aren't told that this is happening and so you could be voting over and over again and having your signature be rejected and not so they will tell you now they do we got oh. the law changed last year thanks to lawsuit from the aclu uh-huh. um we got the law changed that requires counties to contact voters whose signatures are rejected and give them a chance to submit a signature so their ballot will be counted that and that law took effect last in time for the fall 2018 election now, another bill, SB 523 by Mike McGuire, we're supporting because it would do the same for voters who forget to sign their vote by mail envelopes. Those are two of the top reasons why vote by mail ballots get rejected. Your signature doesn't match or you forgot to sign. Hmm. So the, the McGuire bill, SB 523, would, like this earlier bill, SB 759, which he also authored, uh, vote counties would need to contact voters with missing signatures give them a chance to submit a signature so their ballot will be counted instead of rejected. So what, we're hoping What kind of time frame that. is that? Do you know? I mean, because you're going by the mail, so there's a, a day mailing it in. I assume some time to find out that it's not acting, having to get back in touch with the voter. Is it like a week or two or what? Um, up, I think it, the deadline is up until two days before the certification deadline. Oh, okay. So they, it's it's a pretty generous amount of time. I mean, the, and the problem is for the counties is, you know, as much as we tell people vote early and get your ballot in early, people wait to the last minute. Yeah. They want to drop off their ballot in person on election day. They want to have that yes. election day experience. Yes. They want to wear their I voted sticker. Creative tension. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it's like we're all like that with deadlines. We're pushing it to the last minute. So the result is that all these, you know, the majority of vote by mail ballots come in in the in the day before or the day of the election or the yeah. day following because we have a grace period, a three day uh, grace period, as long as your ballot's postmarked by election day and received within three business days, it gets counted. So, 
it's like the pig and the python phenomenon, you know, we, this giant mound of ballots that they've got to put through this, you know, their 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 processing filter. And so the, it's very difficult for the counties to keep up with the outreach to voters who have, have failed to sign or their signatures don't match. They process those those signatures and, and those problems as much as they can early in the process. But if the ballots aren't arriving till election day, they've got to wait until the post-election canvas period. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they're contacting voters and saying, hey, can you come in and sign or can you mail us your signature? Or you can even email it in. I mean, we've given people a lot of ways to do it. So um, we saw in Sacramento County over 2,000 ballots rescued in 2018 yeah. because of this kind of outreach that Sacramento did. So we know that voters are making mistakes when they vote by mail and that they, they can be corrected. Mm-hmm. We also are working with Sacramento and other counties to improve the envelope itself because there's a lot of confusing things on the vote by mail envelope. And if you're new to it, you know, it can be intimidating. So trying to make them, you know, um, more user-friendly, more plain language. Is it self-stamped or do you have to put your own stamp on it? That was another great reform that we mm-hmm. supported that got enacted that Governor Brown signed into law before he left office. Um, that was a Lorena Gonzalez bill that re- now requires all vote by mail ballot return envelopes to have postage paid wow. mm-hmm. uh, on them. So that's a huge barrier that's going away for vote by mail voters. I think that's been one reason why you know people are delayed getting their ballots in because they just don't have stamps. They don't know where to get stamps if you're a young person. I was going to say, I'd, I know so many young people who just have never sent a letter. Like, why would they, they pay everything online? That's funny. I had yeah. someone tell me that they saw they had a young person they were showing the voting process to they didn't know really how to use an envelope whoa i know and i was like i thought that was so you know if you're not mailing things you're not using paper what yeah i don't know anyway um so that that's a big hurdle the other hurdle with that was that um you know you don't know how much postage you would need i mean we did this big study on vote by mail in 2014 uh that's up on our website at calvoter.org and one of the things that I did during the study was I went into my local post office. I took my Sacramento County ballot and envelope in there and had them wait and tell me how much postage I needed. And one said it went in the same post office on two different scales. One person said it's one ounce. You need 45 cents or whatever it was. And the other one said it's two ounces. You need 71 cents. So wow. there was not consistency in, in how much postage you need. And that can really stress voters out. Yeah. So this takes a big, a big barrier away. Um, one of the other bills you were watching, uh, you'd mentioned, was uh, same-day voter registration. Yeah, that's um, Senate Bill 72 by Tom Umberg. Um, that bill has, has been uh, shepherded through the process by California Common Cause, League of Women Voters, um, ACLU. They've been working very hard on this bill, and lots of uh, voter advocacy groups are supporting this bill. And the registrars are supporting it, too. Uh-huh. Um, the bill would allow any voter in any county in the state to be able to register or re-register, change their party affiliation at their polling place on election day. On election day. Yeah. Now it's called conditional voter registration. So it's not automatic. You can't have someone running around to different polling places voting multiple times. The way they prevent that is treating it like you would a vote by mail ballot or a provisional ballot where... It goes inside an envelope. The signatures verified. They they go on vote cal and make sure that voter didn't vote somewhere else. And only then do they okay. count that ballot. And when if that does get signed, when does it take effect? It would take effect for the March twenty twenty primary. Yeah, so quick turnaround. Yeah, and that I think 
I mean, I, I hope the counties are prepared for it. I mean, the counties that are implementing the Voters' Choice Act, they already have to provide this registration option at vote centers. That's one of the requirements of the Voters' Choice Act. Um, with the Voters' Choice Act, you have more things you can do at a vote center, but there are fewer of them. Uh-huh. But they're open more days, so there's trade-offs. But the county's not implementing that. You just have your neighborhood polling place. California's voter registration deadline is 15 days from the election. The conditional voter registration period is 14 days up until election day. You can currently, without SB 72, update your registration or re-register or register to vote for the first time at your county election office or satellite office any of those days leading up to election day and on election day. But what we saw in 2018 in particularly Los Angeles County and Orange County, where they did not have, you know, vote centers, just huge lines, hundreds, maybe thousands of people lined up for hours at the county registrar of voters offices in those, particularly those two counties, people waiting, people having pizza delivered to them in line because they wanted to register and vote. They wanted to register and vote at the same time. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what, um, that's what is allowed, but what this law would do, what this bill would do, SB 72, would be to give voters the ability to to register and vote at their local polling place on election day. Okay. And again, it would be conditional. It, it It's not automatic the minute you go in and do it because you have to make sure that people aren't registering in other places. Is um, I'm just trying to think, would that, be, would that add a lot of time or potentially a lot of time to the process? I want to vote. I need to register first. I register. I get a conditional registration. But then it finds out I wasn't, I didn't properly register, or maybe I'm not who I say I am. If there's an issue, then the issue would be whether my vote counted or not. I assume it wouldn't. To determine whether it counted, that would take. Seems to me it would take some vetting and some secure. Or no, I mean. Well, you know what's happening right now, John, is that you have people showing up at votes at polling places who aren't on the rolls. They want to vote. They fail. They fill out a provisional ballot. They may walk away, but a lot of them will fill out a provisional ballot. Yeah. Now, most provisional ballots get counted because people are just at the wrong polling place, but they're registered in that county. But when someone's not registered or not eligible or voted somewhere else, then those, that ballot is not counted. That's why we process provisionals later. So what conditional voter registration does is shifts the administrative burden of processing provisional ballots to instead processing conditional voter registration ballots and being able to count more of them under the provisional law. You could only vote provisionally and get your ballot counted if you had already, if you were registered. What conditional registration does is say to people who've never been registered before, we can get you registered on election day and you can vote. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because, you know, a lot of people take, want to be part of the election day excitement. They don't think about things in advance. They see a lot of social media and friends talking about the election and they say, look, I guess I better go and do something. And now that's me. That's me. But, you know, for people who are young or, or you know, new uh, to California or, you know, haven't voted in a long time, they're sitting on the sidelines. If you, you know, yeah. if you weren't registered or you can't get to your county election office, you know, that's just too bad. But if you can walk to someplace in your neighborhood or drive uh, to a vote center that's five minutes from your home, um, then you're going to be more likely to vote and participate. And we did see in, in, in the Voters' Choice Act counties um, a slight bump in turnout uh, because of these kinds of conveniences yeah. that, that are being provided. I miss the precinct. I miss the old precinct. I liked walking down to the street and, you know, going to a neighbor's garage and doing my thing. And then 
I always wondered whether my precinct would be like a bellwether. And so if it was really crowded in mine, I thought, well, maybe we're going to have a good turnout. Actually, it never worked out that way. If it was crowded in my precinct, it was the lowest turnout ever. And if it wasn't crowded, we'd have, it seemed like we had good turnouts. But there were neighbors doing it. I kind of like that. I know that's gone the way of the dodo now. Because the last time I went to a voting center and did it, and it was it's kind of like going to the DMV. Not quite that bad. But um, does it, do you ever hear that? People say, give me my precinct back. Yeah, I I do think that there are like three people probably. No, I mean I do I do hear that and and I hear I I think that it's going to be interesting in LA where you know there's been a lot of precinct based voting in LA to see how how voters respond to the change there. But um, you know I do think the kinds of things that we're doing in voting in terms of trying to give people the ability to uh, vote a ballot in different languages, be able to issue them new ballots. There are a lot of conveniences and benefits to, to the vote center that are very staff intensive and equipment intensive and security intensive. And you just can't provide all those services yeah. at all the polling places. So, But what I do think could be a nice medium and something we've been promoting is the idea of having uh, drop-off locations that are staffed by volunteers in neighborhoods so that you could walk to someplace, see your neighbors, Put your put your ballot inside the box and maybe grab a cookie or something there on the way out. Okay. <laughs> Kim Alexander, thank you very much. Before we leave, however, uh, we want to mention it's the 25th anniversary of the CVF, California Voter Foundation, and you're going to have a special celebration. And I think you can probably post that at cvf.org. Calvoter.org. Yeah, we'll have lots of photos and a video coming okay. soon on our website. Uh, showcasing our 25 years Congratulations of, on that. of history. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been quite a, a time, and I did not expect I would be doing this this long, but I love it, and, and I continue to find the work challenging and exciting, and I love yeah. the community of people that I work with. So thanks for inviting me to come and talk about it. Well, thank you for coming. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm John Howard. I thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time around. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Thanks.